Hello, and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined as always by Alan. And man, offseason has gotten a little weird. We're, we're back after the new year, and uh, I feel like we have a lot to talk about already. Um, so there's been seven portal editions since we last talked um some of those names should have sounded familiar if you listen to last week's podcast because we talked about who all was visiting and everything um there's been some shakeups on the coaching staff perhaps more to come um we i think we know a little bit more about the highs and lows of the men's basketball season and i guess the highs and lows of the women's basketball season too even though uh it's hard to be disappointed after a 20-something point loss. Don Staley did find a way uh, to be disappointed after that loss. So that's a little bit of what I will cover on today's episode. Um, let's start with this morning's news, just to get it out of the way. Um, so I woke up uh, seeing, I believe it was Matt Zenitz had it first, um, that James Coley from Texas A&M was expected to join South Carolina's staff. Uh, I reached out throughout the Rivals Network, which is amazing uh, because we have people uh, in pretty much every major school in the country. Um, and our people at Texas A&M said that that was pretty plausible. And now multiple sources are uh, reporting that. So we went ahead and, and went with that. So uh, interesting addition, I think. Very good recruiter. Um, has a lot of SEC experience. Um, at first, we were sort of like, well the running back coach position is what's open. He's a tight ends coach, or he was a tight ends coach at Texas A&M. Um, but now it sounds like uh, Jody Wright is likely to end up at Murray State as their next head coach. Um, yeah, again, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN just had that too. Okay, great. So yeah, all this is still pending uh, the university uh, formally announcing stuff, but just giving you an idea of everything that we've heard this morning. Um, so that means running back coach would still probably be open um, right now, again, the only name we've really heard is Jimmy Smith out of Arkansas, but that could change. Um, but yeah, what do you think of this addition, I guess, of, of James Coley, assuming everything uh, plays out? I, I agree with you on the recruiting point. I think having not just SEC experience from his last job, but the one before that, too, it's eight years in the S. I guess more than eight because he was a grad assistant at LSU under State, but I think it's 10 years total in the SEC for his whole career. Um and the other point, too, that I haven't seen mentioned a lot, but I made a quick note of it as a story on GameCockScoop.com. He's worked with Shane Beamer before. Um, when Shane Beamer was the tight ends and special teams coordinator at Georgia, uh, James Coley was on that staff with Kirby Smart. That was their first two years. They went to a national title game together in 2017. Um, so this is a familiar hire for Shane Beamer. This is someone he clearly trusts. He's worked with him before for a couple of years in a high in an SEC environment. Um, and I think you kind of in a similar light to Dowell Loggins, you kind of just got to go with it for Beamer. Yeah. I mean, he's worked under three different national championship winning head coaches. Yep. It's a pretty good resume. Um, Some NFL experience pure, too. Right. This is pure speculation. So no one clipped me or anything. This is pure speculation, but um, I tend to think that the Brady Hunt saga, which we'll talk about a little bit more in just, here in just a second. For those of you that missed it, Brady Hunt uh, committed in the transfer portal, which we reported on, what, weeks ago. Um, and then we got word from Texas A&M folks and from national folks that he was about to flip to Texas A&M. Um, in fact, to the point that it, it flipped in the database on Rivals, and we went ahead and let the Insiders Forum know that that was happening. 
um, on GameCockScoop.com. And then we got word again last week that he was actually sticking with the South Carolina commitment and he was on campus. Um, do you think that this Coley stuff had anything to do with that? I, I feel like it probably. Yeah, I think a position coach probably plays into that for sure. Um, especially when you look at the two schools involved and the A&M flip and a tight ends coach who was coming from A&M. Sounds like Mike Elko wasn't going to retain on his staff there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into the other portal edition since last weekend. We told you it was going to be a big weekend as far as visits go. Um, a couple of other names uh, got added to that list late, um, but we kept you guys updated on GameCocksCoop.com. So in between podcasts, definitely pop over there um, and keep up with everything that happens in the meantime. Let's kind of go name by name. I, I think this is an order of commitment. Um, so the first name was offensive lineman Torricelli Simpkins, who I think we talked a little bit about uh, last week. He was an all-MIAC, uh, first-team all-MIAC, offensive lineman out of North Carolina Central. I think a really good add, um, someone that's got a lot of experience. Um, we already have a film room up on uh, his game from two days ago. Perry McCarty did that. We'll have a film room on all of these guys uh, from our for our premium subscribers in the next coming days on GameCocksGroup.com. Um, but really, really good ad. I think someone that uh, immediately brings uh, some a better veteran presence to the offensive line. He's also played center, uh, which we talked about a little bit last week. I could come in handy um, when it when you're talking about the two deep. Yeah, I think I think I might have said this in the show last week, but you could really never have enough offensive linemen in general, especially after the way you saw last season go, how many of them went down, the shuffling you had to do, what was it, nine games in a row to start the year with a different combination of five up front. Um, that's just non-sustainable. you got to find ways to get better depth in there, and I don't think there's anything wrong with – people are going to look at this and go, oh, he's, you know, he's an FCS player, he's coming from North Carolina Central – Maybe some bad memories at Sydney Fugard didn't really work out last year. Um, it's a body; it helps. It's experience. It's an all-conference player. I don't. I'll say, don't don't confuse him for Sydney Fugar. Uh, this is a guy that's played 34 games, uh, made an impact as soon as his red freshman redshirt freshman season um, in 2022. He was ranked as the second on his team in rating with an 85.3, uh, and he was he's already been named to the 2024 Reese Senior Bowl watch list, which um, most people that are on lists like that at least have some uh, upside of potentially making it into the NFL. Like he's he's a big body um, that maybe grew into the role a bit at a smaller school. Um, there will be a learning curve for, for the SEC, no doubt. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't confuse I him with ads from last year. I think the way you got to look at this, if you're a South Carolina fan, is are there 10 offensive linemen better than him on the roster? Probably not, which means you just added to your two deep. Exactly. I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Um, let's go with the wide receivers back-to-back uh, -back here. So um, you had Amari Huggins-Bruce out of Louisville. He's originally from Dillon, South Carolina. I believe we mentioned his name last week on the podcast as well. Um, really solid career so far at Louisville. Uh, all, all three seasons he had at least 300 yards. Um, he's not going to be that, you know, alpha uh, sort of receiver that we talked about, but he has some big play capability. Um, he put a, put up 10 touchdowns across his three seasons uh, at Louisville. Uh, a couple of those were, um, you know, 50-plus yard 
touchdowns. Um, and his best game in his college career was last year against Boston College. He had three catches for 110 yards and two touchdowns. So that kind of just lets you know about his explosiveness. Um, he's not going to be this possession guy that you're going to pepper with targets. He's not getting 15 targets a game or anything like that. Um, but if you can get an explosive play or two, um, or at least try for an explosive player or two with him every single game. I think he fits kind of an Amari and Brown role to some degree. Yeah, I would I would go with that. I also think worth noting he's played pretty well in his career against Kentucky. You can say that's a small sample. It's a couple games, all right, but that's that's an SEC opponent you're going to see next year. Uh, I think he caught a touchdown against Kentucky last season in that game. And then my top wide receiver from this weekend um, was Gage Larvadane. Is that how you say it? Larvadane. Um, who ultimately did end up committing. I think he does have wide receiver one upside, but it's it's all, you know, um, dependent on how the transition to uh, a higher level went. But he was at Miami, Ohio. Um, he's only He only spent one season at Miami at o, of Ohio. He appeared in 10 games last year, 42 catches, 679 yards, six touchdowns. Um, before that he was at FCS Southeast Louisiana. So he's kind of just like been ramping his way up throughout his college career, a little bit of a late bloomer. Um, I think really, really good ad. I'm really looking forward to Perry's, uh, film room breakdown of him, but, um, I was more excited about him than Barber who ended up at Texas A&M. So, uh, I think the staff was too. So. I think, you can, I think this is the guy you can just do a lot with, you know, from what you've seen. There's obviously you talked about, you know, okay, explosiveness. He had almost 700 yards last year, you know, red zone threat. He scored touchdowns last year. You can, you know, you can hit a lot of targets to him. I think he had one game against UMass where it was like over 200 yards. Um, and he returned kicks at Miami, Ohio, which I haven't seen mentioned in a lot of places too, but you're going to need a kick returner next year. Xavier Leggett's going to the NFL. Um, I know that's going to be – I mean, obviously they're going to work three, four guys in that spot in the spring and in the fall. You're never only going to have one kick returner, but someone's going to have to do that next year. And This seems like an explosive can for that. Caleb? Uh, all right. I don't know where Caleb went. I think we're still live right now. I got knocked out for oh, a second. I'm back. <laughs> um. Did you finish up talking about Larvadane? Yeah, I don't know where you went. <laughs> I accidentally hit the back button and went out. Uh, hi, sometimes podcasts go weird. Um, all right, uh, the other two, let's, let's kind of stick with talking about two uh, positions at once, or two people at the same position at once. Um, linebackers, Demetrius Knight out of Charlotte, and then Bengali, or Bengali, Bengali Kamara, is how I think you say Pitt. his name, out of Pitt. Um, let's talk night first. So, uh, another one of those, I think late bloomers, but, but someone that you, um, really, I, I think could be a really, really good player. Um, so to track his career, he was actually originally recruited as a quarterback to Georgia tech dual threat quarterback. Um, very speedy guy. I think he ran a four, three or four, four coming out of high school. Um, but he's put on. 30 or 40 pounds since then uh, made it the transition to linebacker. He did play a little safety in high school as well, but still learning a new position in linebacker, um, learning how to use his bigger frame uh, now. Um, and as far as I can tell, he's still pretty fast. He runs like a four five ish um, and really exploded at Charlotte last year. So, I mean, yeah, he went down a level um, perhaps that um, 
had an impact on that. But I mean, he compiled what 90 tackles or something last year. Yep. Um, I think immediately again plays into your two deep, especially after you lose Pup Howard and Stone Blanton, who I think we talked about last week. But uh, after you lose both of those guys in the portal, um, he factors into the two deep pretty much immediately. I'd say. Yeah, we're going to talk about positions that still need to be addressed, but at this time last week, linebacker was definitely one of those. And you got one here who's kind of an on the ball, you know, sort of tackling machine. I think you can call him that. You can talk, again, you can talk about the level going down to Charlotte, whatever. 90 tackles is 90 tackles. I don't care who you are. Um, you still got to have a nose for the football. You got to have good awareness of where you are. Uh, you got to be able to finish plays to make that happen. Yeah, here's this full stat line. I got it now. So 96 total tackles, 5.5 tackles for loss, and 1.5 sacks in 2023. Um, but a, another big point, I think, is he um, is has a nose for the ball in the passing game as well. Um, ended up with three interceptions. Uh last season um and then one of his biggest plays uh, at georgia tech was a interception return for a touchdown so um really good player just really good football player i think uh good speed which is something that maybe um people were still complaining about with stone blanton definitely faster i guess than than stone was um yeah i think really good ad there and then similarly bengali kamara yeah i've got I his stats that up here if you want yeah, go for it. I hope that that uh, first name is right. Someone let me know. If not, we'll get our our spring guide here shortly that'll break down uh, all the names and stuff. There's there's some there's some interesting names that have been added this portal period for sure. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead and read off those stats. So last season at Pitt, that was his senior year. He's coming in as a grad transfer, one year of eligibility at South Carolina. Uh, he played in 10 games, 55 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, and two sacks for his career, five sacks, 11 and a half tackles for loss. And 117 tackles, and then what's most interesting to me, you talk about adding to a room experience, 47 games at Pitt in four years, 47 games at the Power 5 level. Yeah, again, another really good add. Maybe um, I think you could even argue that Demetrius Knight has more upside. I think you kind of know what you're getting with Kamara, but what you're getting is a really solid uh, linebacker that can uh, fill in, and, and we've talked about the depth there. Uh, especially uh, you factor in Mokaba has been injured uh, throughout his career here. Hopefully he finally has a healthy season, but at this point it's something that you have to plan for at least. Um, yeah. I, and also the question becomes, I think when, when we talk about this and talk about uh, another ad here in a minute on the defensive line, um, how much three through five are they about to run? It seems like perhaps yeah. uh, they're, they're setting up to run a lot more of that this coming season which means you need another linebacker because um, you're going to have three on the field at a time. So I think uh, really, really savvy ad there. Speaking of savvy ads, we went a little bit uh, different direction with the other offensive linemen over the weekend. Um, so Aaron Parks, I, I believe he goes by AJ Parks out of Oklahoma, is someone that hasn't really done anything yet on a college field, uh, though he's been at Oklahoma for three seasons. Um, but the idea I think there is one Oklahoma's pretty good. So he was behind some, some talent. Um, but he's six, four, 309, former four star coming out of the DMV area, which is always a place that you want to build more connections with anyway. Um, and I guess you're at this point, you're just hoping that you can coach him up and kind of unlock that potential in a way that Oklahoma could. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a body. It's another player to add. You can't really talk about film or do a breakdown because he hasn't really played. But it's another guy in your room. And again, you talk about, do you have 10 linemen better than him? Probably not. Great, you added your two deep. Yeah, and along the same lines, uh, the last ad of the weekend was, is it good wine or good one? How, how have you heard it? I think it's good wine. I, I actually so shouldn't, shouldn't have said that so quickly. The former uh, Alabama defensive tackle. Yeah, former Alabama defensive tackle, Monkel Goodwine, I think. At the very least, uh, I saw him retweet. Someone put a gif of like, that's some good wine or something, and he <laughs> retweeted it. So, um, you know, he's playing into it, whether that's how you pronounce it or not. Um, but, yeah, another former four-star, uh, in fact, was rated as the number six defensive end in the entire DMV class. Too. Yeah, number one player out of Maryland in the 2020 class. Um, obviously, Alabama wanted him, saw the potential there. Um, he hasn't done a ton uh, at Alabama, but as you guys know, um, they tend to continually have a pretty deep depth chart. So that's not all that surprising or all that much of an indictment uh, of him. Um, and again, just another, another body. And I think another kind of important point here, and this is something that we can begin to transition into what's left, uh, is that he still has two years of eligibility left. And when you look at that defensive line room, I mean, you got Hemingway, Huntley, Barrett, Davis, and Jules, who was an earlier portal commit out of Pitt. Those guys are all seniors. So um, on that next level down, when you look to 2025, Goodwine would be a guy that would still have some eligibility, uh, assuming you you know hold on to him following the season yeah you mean you it's so early and so much obviously does change every year in college football now but you do start to build out like a 2025 depth chart and d-tackle and linebacker or two of your spots right there because in that same light you've got Debo Williams Dan Martin Scott and two linebackers we just mentioned who are both grad transfers who are all have one year left so you're gonna lose all four of those guys after this season one way or another um yeah, but you did bring in two freshmen at least with you the are, linebackers. You bring in uh, Wendell Gregory and Fred Johnson. That's true. For um, for defensive tackle, you have no one. You have one sophomore in Weiss, and then you have no one in the freshman category, and no one in the first year. Like no one that was a freshman this year, and then no one in the first year category. So, um, <laughs> definitely, you're going to have to really hit the defensive line recruiting. But honestly, I if you're going to prioritize that in the portal and JUCO every year, I don't think that's a bad idea because defensive line, especially the interior, is one of those positions where it's hard to make an impact as a freshman. Um, so if, in this portal world, if you want to let someone else develop <laughs> your defensive right. lineman and then uh, pick them up out of the portal, I don't think that that's a terrible strategy. Um, other positions that they might still target in the portal – um, it's important to know right now they're at 86 scholarships. Of course, they have to get that down to 85 by August or so. Um, so we expect probably a couple more defections in the spring. Portal um, reopens, I believe, April 16th for 15 days. It's a half the size window as the one before spring ball, but there is another portal window after spring ball. Yeah. And at the moment, I think they're pretty much done with the 2024 class. We'll let you know if anything changes between now and February, but it doesn't seem like they're really in on anyone in the high school class. Um, but what other positions do you kind of see as needed uh, in that spring portal period? Or, or I mean, there's a couple uh, of names still out there from this portal period that uh, haven't committed yet. 
Uh, to me, it really obviously you'll you'll take help anywhere, you'll improve anywhere if you find a player you like and you think fits. But to me, the one absolute non-negotiable right now is quarterback. You are down to if you have Luke Doty classified as a receiver, special teams. I don't know. I heard someone call him a Taysom Hill type the other day. If you have Luke Doty classified as that, you are down to Lenora Sellers and Dante Reno for your entire quarterback room for next year. Dante Reno, who has obviously never played a collegiate snap, is going to be a true freshman. Lenora Sellers, who has played garbage time against Furman and Vanderbilt, and I think one snap against Kentucky. Obviously, the staff likes Sellers. I can see why. It's not hard to see the upside there, but you are still one hit on Lenora Sellers away from being down to a true freshman with no backup behind him, a quarterback. I think that's, again, I would use the term non-negotiable. you got to get another quarterback in here before August. Yeah, and we've talked kind of throughout this offseason about how tough of a task it is because they do very much believe in sellers. Most of the QBs in the portal are looking for a starting role. Seems like the staff is not promising anyone a starting role, um, which I don't blame them. Like you said, sellers seems to have big upside. Um, I've, I've been looking back at some of the high school tape and uh, even the little bit that he played this past year, and I mean – sky's the limit sort of thing i do i do think there'll be some some speed bumps and some struggles um i do think at least in high school he struggled a little bit with accuracy so we'll see how that's uh he he, even then he threw a good long ball it was more intermediate accuracy so we'll see how that kind of plays out but um yeah i agree they need to still try to find a quarterback that could step in um if worst case scenario happened um we did hear that robbie ashford from auburn uh, is set to visit this weekend. Um, I, I think that's a pretty good fit um, as far as similar uh, dual threat ability as Sellers uh, could easily, I think, sort of fit into the offense. Um, but again, the question is going to be, is he willing to come in and, and compete slash maybe be a backup? Um, and that's kind of been the, the struggle throughout. Uh, other positions, uh, as I kind of look at it, um, I think you're pretty good at tight end now that Brady Hunt's back in the boat. Uh, you could still probably add a wide receiver if it's the right fit, um, but I think that that's going to be just like a, a no-brainer sort of guy. Um, could do with a maybe, corner, I think. I would say maybe a corner. Uh, right now you have Spalding and Fortune, um, and then a kind of mishmash of, of folks behind them uh, that are sophomores and below. Um, obviously those guys are developing. You trust, uh, Torian Gray, Torian Gray. I kept, uh, yeah, my, my brain, um, you trust Torian Gray to kind of develop things. But, um, I, I think that, you know, if, if, if the right guy comes along, you add that, but, uh, pretty much done. And I think that I that's starts looking much better than it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. And then just one more point on the quarterback thing, I think is worth kind of worth remembering is that if anybody is aware of this understands the problem, understands how badly this can go if you don't figure it out. It is Shane Beamer, because if you remember his first year here, what happened at quarterback, you were playing a grad assistant, you were, you know, playing four or five, I think it was like four different guys who played quarterback in 2021, because they just, there weren't, I think if anybody knows that this can happen, it is Shane Beamer, and he, they know they need a quarterback in here one way or another. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a risky bet, I guess, to, I mean, especially you think you're coming off of a losing season. Um, people get antsy if you have those back to back or something. Um, so you're hitching your wagon to this redshirt freshman 
and Lenora Sellers, who I think we both think is going to be really good, but it's a little scary. It's a little scary. <laughs> um, let's uh, kind of turn the page on football for now. Obviously, we'll have plenty more uh, as I'll have some stuff in the weekly recruiting wrap up uh, tomorrow. Kind of turning the page to the 2025 class. Um, a couple of commitments upcoming there. Another, I guess, quick tidbit for the 2025 class I can give you is their top target, uh, Ryan Montgomery, is set to visit later in January. I have the exact date uh, on GameCockScoop.com. I want to say it's the 19th, um, and he's also visiting Georgia. Um, he's set to make that uh, college decision in February. At least that's what he's targeting right now. So um, those last two visits could be a big deal. Um, the way that I, if I'm reading between the lines about what he said about Georgia is how serious are they? Um, I tend to think if Georgia said, Hey, Montgomery, you're our number one priority, then maybe he's interested in going there. Um, if he doesn't feel that way, then I think South Carolina has really positioned themselves in a good place. A lot of that is speculation. We'll see how it plays out in the next month or so. Uh, um, go ahead. Ryan Montgomery from Finley, Ohio, hometown of Lamont, Paris. Let's talk some basketball. That's all I was <laughs> oh, Beautiful segue. Um, so if we had hopped on this podcast yesterday, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we would have nothing but good things to say about men's basketball. Um, they came off a really impressive uh, SEC opening win over the weekend against Mississippi State at home. Michi Johnson kind of put the team on his back at various points throughout that game, scored 24 points. Um, I, he was named co-offensive player of the week. Lamont was named SEC coach of the week. Um, there was some buzz about getting into the top 25. You know, it was the, there's some bubble talk. They were, I think, ranked uh, nine seed in some early brackets. Um, then last night happened. So uh, last night, South Carolina traveled to Alabama. Actually came out really, really good. Uh, forced six turnovers uh, in the first half on Bama. Uh, turned those into 10 points, I believe. Most of that kind of came early. Um, and jumped out to a as, as wide as a seven-point lead in the first half. Ultimately went down into halftime, down 30 to 29. And you felt like, okay, uh, Vegas had picked them to lose by at least 11 and a half points, I believe. They're 11 and a half point underdog. Um, and you're like, well, Vegas was wrong. South Carolina's in this one. It's going to be a really exciting second half. And then the wheels completely fell off. So um, dating back to the first half, uh, I believe they went like one of 17 yep. at one point. Um, they didn't score for the first seven minutes of the second half. Um, and Alabama pretty quickly uh, pulled out to a double-digit lead. Um, Spears uh, from Alabama, they're, they're sort of – point guard, uh, shooting guard, Michi Johnson sort of sort of guy. I uh, scored 31 points, uh, so kind of carried Alabama on uh, his back. And uh, ultimately, South Carolina loses 74 to 47. Pretty ugly loss. They only scored 17 points in the second half, or 19 points in the second half, sorry. Um, yeah, so what are your takeaways? I guess I, I, I know you were kind of watching uh, some of that game last night. Um, they're one and one in SEC play on the surface. That seems kind of right where you wanted to be. <laughs> but uh, to lose in such, I guess, an embarrassing fas fashion, um, what does that tell you about this team? 
All right, I want to go back before we go forwards because I don't – I think you made a good point to start with that if we had recorded this yesterday, this would be an entirely different tone. I know it's not. I'll get back to Alabama in a second. Saturday did happen. They did play a Mississippi State team that made the tournament last year that I think a lot of people think will make it again. And they got down early in that game. Lamont said in his postgame last year, it was kind of a flip of the Alabama game. They got down early in that one. They, I think they hit one shot from the floor in the first eight minutes against Mississippi State. Um, but you found a way to pull that back. Michi Johnson made a steal in the last 10 seconds when you were up two, saved that game with his defense, even with scoring 24. Um, so that happened. I don't think you can minimize that because of last night. That was probably However, the best home environment at CLA. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely six, worth seven years, too. probably. <laughs> that was that felt like a big game. That felt like a you know a late season bubble game. That that's what it's going to need to look like the rest of the year. If they're gonna actually get something done here, and I think it did for sure. I'm torn on last night. I think you saw some trends, some habits that are concerning. I think you saw another scoring drought throughout the second half. That's two games in a row. You've gone seven, eight minutes where the offense just disappeared and disappeared. And that, that's a killer in most SEC games. I think you saw that, you know, maybe BJ Matt can't just turn around and post up on a defender and SEC play the way he could in non-con. Um, yeah, he had a tough shooting game, two of 10 yeah. last night. However, Alabama won the league last year. They were undefeated at home last year. They're, I think, 22-1 and one at home the last two years now. Pretty much nobody goes in there and wins. I think you can just kind of write off that second half, make it a burn-the-tape kind of game if you go to Mizzou and win Saturday. Mizzou's not playing well. They're 0-2 in the league. It's a road game, but I kind of class that as one of those games that maybe you disagree, but if you're going to seriously talk about a bubble, you should go to Missouri and win. Like if you're actually going to have that conversation – so, and you need a response. First time this year, you kind of lost badly. First chance to get back from that. It's another road game. I think Saturday tells a lot, both in terms of this team kind of mentally and also, again, if you're actually talking bubble, you should be beating a team like Missouri. Yeah, I think it's very important to come out and play a game. Maybe you were riding a little too high uh, coming off the week that you just had, coming off the start that you've had. Um, maybe that was a humbling thing that, that kind of refocuses you and recenters you. Um, it definitely did seem like something that spiraled. Like once you, and I think Paris said this last night in the post game, once, once you stopped hitting shots, like once you went through that little lull, kind of everything started to fall apart. Cause mentally you just got frustrated. And, uh, I know Michi got a tech and, you know, it just, it got, it got ugly there. Um, I think you at the moment at least can say, yeah, let it go, start fresh. Um, but if those trends continue, um, into uh, like, yeah, Missouri or some, some of these home games, then uh, maybe you start to hit the panic button a little bit more. Uh, a couple of, I guess, positive notes from last night. Um, Bama is averaging 90 points per game and you held them to 74. I mean, if you had a decent offensive night, I think that would have gone into the final minutes, but yeah, obviously it went completely cold. Um, but your defense played well enough, um, I think. And then Colin Murray Boyles, true freshman, continues to to grow into his role, um, is, is obviously being trusted uh, in these tough SEC um, environments. And um, I think with good reason. I mean, he's he's uh, he's got the ability to do a lot of good things uh, at a, from a lot of different spots on the floor. Um, he's got some of the quickest hands defensively uh, that I've seen really yeah. on the entire team. Um, he had several steals last night that were just effort plays. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think all is lost because of one rough game, I guess, uh, is where I agree with you there. It's really, really easy to forget Colin Murray boils one as a freshman and two missed the first month of the year with motto. Yeah. Um, but really coming on, uh, on strong here. Um, so like you said, they play Missouri on Saturday. That's at three 30 Eastern. Uh, I'll be covering that one on GameCocksGroup.com. If you want to pop into our live thread and talk some more basketball, probably be uh, there too. You'll be there too. There we go. Um, let's talk a little women's as well. So um, they've started off the SEC schedule seemingly when you just look at the the, the score and, and maybe parts of the box score, perfect, right? They beat Florida eighty nine to sixty six last Thursday. They beat Mississippi State 85 to 66 on Sunday. And yet, <laughs> and you wrote a story about this, uh, Don Staley did not seem too uh, pleased following Sunday's win. Yeah, I think this just, this is another one of those things where one, you do got to acknowledge what happened. They won both games. They won both games comfortably. They're 2 0 in the league. They're at Mizzou, same as the men. They're at Mizzou on Thursday night for the next game. The defense, I think is what's getting it done right now. That's two straight games allowing an opponent over 65, which I don't think they did at any point all last season. I know it had been two years they did that, did that in the SEC, and one of those games went to overtime two years ago even. Um, they're still letting guards kind of get in front of them, get to the rim pretty easily. That's two straight games, and an opposing guard has scored over 25 against them. Florida's Leilani Correa had 28, and Jerkayla Jordan had, I think, 26 for Mississippi State on Sunday. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. I thought the the one Don's Daily quote that pretty much summed up where they are, both what happened and what the expectation is. She just said, we played well enough to win the game. We didn't play well enough to win the league. Um, and I think that's probably about where it is. You're just having a different conversation than you are with the men's team. You're trying to win the conference. You're going to LSU on the road two weeks from tomorrow. Um yeah, it's just a young team that hasn't lost yet, and I do think eventually a loss might be good for them just to kind of clean some things up. Uh, but also they're so talented, and it's really hard to lose a game. Almost, You know, it's hard to lose when you're this talented, but defense yeah. probably needs some work. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking is, I guess by their standards, um, maybe they're, they're underperforming a bit. Um, I think that's probably the right attitude to have. Um, because it is going to get harder, um, both at points in the SEC schedule and then also, obviously, as you transition into March. And if you aren't holding yourself to that expectation, it'll be a, a bit of a rude awakening um, once the, the competition ramps up. But also, you can bring your C game and win most games uh, by 10 to 20 points uh, with this team. So it's kind of hard to figure out um, what the grade is. Um, and they're obviously grading on a curve uh, to, to a large degree. Um, it's, it's also just a very different team, I think, than last year. So when we're comparing uh, the, the defensive output, fine, but also compare the offensive output, right? Yeah. They're, uh, they're scoring at a clip that last year's team very rarely did. Um, and they're doing it pretty consistently. So uh, their good offense might overcome some of those struggles that you're talking about on defense, I think, down the stretch. Yeah, and I do think there's a pace thing to that too. I mean, it's just the way math is, but if you play at a faster clip, if you're scoring more, that means more possessions for you, but obviously that also means more possessions for your opponent, more possessions, more points. 
that doesn't mean you should be happy letting an opposing player score over 25 two games in a row by any means. Again, again, I don't think that happened at any point last season. Um, but there is still an element to it that just, like you say, a different style of play, a different way of going about it is just going to lead to some different things in a box score. Yeah, and I mean, we have seen when they face upper echelon individuals, uh, they get their points. I, I, I can't remember the girl's name at this point from Utah. Alyssa Peely. Uh, yeah, she yeah. went off. Um, but then you get double digits from six players and it kind right. of offsets. So um, I think as long as you don't go cold uh, in one of those games, there's not a ton to worry about. But obviously, uh, Don Staley knows a lot more about what uh, it takes to win national championships than I do. So I think that's kind of the way you just you put it there is playing well enough to win right now. Yes, I don't think even the most optimistic South Carolina fan would say they're playing at a national championship level right now, which good news for you. It's, it's January 10th. You don't have to play a national title level right now. Um, but you want to start ramping up to that. And that starts, I guess, tomorrow night at Mizzou. And in two weeks when you go to LSU for your, probably your biggest test of the season. Um, and then obviously the games in between there and after that going into March. So we will have uh, full coverage on all the men's and women's games over the next week on GameCastGroup.com. Pop over, say hello, 